This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by William Stringfellow. That one's own life belongs to the world, that one's money and possessions, talents and time, influence and wealth, all belong to the whole world is, I trust, why the saints are patrons of poverty and ministers to the outcasts, friends of the humiliated, and commonly unpopular themselves. Contrary to many legends, the saints are not spooky figures, morally superior, abstentious, pietistic. They are seldom remembered, much less haloed. In truth, all human beings are called to be saints, but that just means called to be fully human, to be perfect, that is, whole, mature, fulfilled. The saints are simply those women and men who relish the event of life as a gift and who realize that the only way to honor such a gift is to give it away. A reading of scripture from Psalm 62, verses 5 through 12, as rendered by Nan Merrill. For you alone my soul waits in silence. My hope is from the Beloved. Enfolding me with strength and steadfast love, my faith shall remain firm. In the silence rests my freedom and my guidance. You are the heart of my heart. My refuge is in the silence. Trust in love at all times, O people. Pour out your heart to the beloved. Let silence be a refuge for you. Being of low estate is but a sigh. Being of high estate is misleading. In the balance, either high or low, it is of little consequence. They are gone in one breath. Riches, whether obtained by right or through extortion, rarely lead to naught but greed. Set not your heart on them. Once you have spoken, twice have I heard. Our potential gifts belong to you. To you, O beloved, belongs our faithful love. For you render to us all that we offer to you. Fear begets fear. Love begets love. For you alone my soul waits in silence. From the beloved comes my life. So here what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. I knew my coffee wasn't working today. So captivated by the reading. <laughs> Somebody's paying attention. The Holy Gospel according to Mark 1, 14 to 20. Now after Jesus, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. 
As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. So today we're going to talk a little bit about following Jesus. And if someone walked in off the street and was sitting here and heard us talking about following Jesus, they could perhaps be forgiven if they rolled their eyes a little. Following Jesus, really? Cute. But aren't we beyond that? Has that ever really made a difference? For the better, that is? The phrase following Jesus prompts perhaps for many of us and many in our culture to picture perhaps innocuous things like Bible studies and baptisms and big Billy Graham rallies. But it might also prompt less innocuous things like the religious right or opposing gay rights or building walls or making America great again by doubling down on white supremacy and xenophobia. Following Jesus? Really? In 1935, the African-American theologian and activist Howard Thurman went on a trip to Burma, India, and Ceylon. And while he was there, he was visiting with a, at a law college and visiting with uh, the principal there, who was himself a Hindu. And Thurman was asked, what are you doing here? I mean, I've read in the papers that you're here on a pilgrimage of friendship and rest, but what I mean is, what are you doing here? And this man went on to explain and say, more than 300 years ago, your forefathers were taken from the western coast of Africa as slaves. The people who dealt in slave traffic were, by and large, Christians. One of your famous Christian hymn writers, Sir John Newton, made his money from the slave trade. He wrote, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds, an amazing grace, among other hymns. The name of one of the famous British slave vessels was Jesus. The men who bought the slaves were Christians. Christian ministers, quoting the Apostle Paul, gave religious sanction to the system of slavery. During all the many years since then, you have lived in a Christian nation in which you are segregated, lynched, and burned. Even in the church, I understand, this man says, there is segregation. One of my students who went to your country told me about a Christian church in which the regular Sunday worship was interrupted so that many could join a mob against one of your fellow blacks when he had been caught and done to death they came back to resume their worship 
of their Christian God. This principle sitting with this African American, Howard Thurman. Thurman himself was a Christian. This man said, I am a Hindu. I do not understand. Here you are in my country, standing deep within the Christian faith and tradition. I do not wish to seem rude to you, but sir, I think you are a traitor to all the darker peoples of the earth. I'm wondering what you, an intelligent man, can say in defense of your position. Wow, right? In other words, with all the things that have been done to you and to your people, by people who are supposedly following Jesus, how can you be someone who is following Jesus? Isn't it time to leave that behind? Howard Thurman shares that his subsequent conversation with this inquiring Hindu man lasted more than five hours. And Thurman notes that it is important to examine the religion of Jesus against the background of his own age and people and to inquire into the content of his teaching. In other words, let's look at Jesus in his own time and place, in his own context, and see what Jesus was about and start there. And then perhaps later we can deal with all the subsequent things that have been done in the name of Jesus, good or bad. And so we'll do the same for a moment. Our text today in Mark says that as Jesus walked along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw some fishermen. He said, come, follow me. I'll make you fish for people. If we've been in church for any length of time, we may assume that we know what this means. Jesus is gathering disciples who will come to believe certain things about Jesus, which in turn puts them in a position to gain eternal life when they die. And then they are to tell others of this path, the heavenly reward. In other words, following Jesus was essentially about taking people out of this world and promising them a better place in God's heavenly kingdom. Not an unfamiliar narrative to many of us. But I would say to the extent that people believe or say that, they might be in danger of missing a lot of what Jesus was about. Maybe most. (laughs) Following Jesus for the first disciples had everything to do with living differently in the world they were already in. It had to do with reimagining this world, not leaving it behind. Jesus invites the disciples into an alternative social practice in which everything in their lives is affected. Their work, their money, their relationships, how they relate to those in authority, whether that be religious or political authority, how they relate to neighbors, to enemies. It was all encompassing. And there's something in the very wording of fishing for people that hints at this. Our reading uh, last week, some of you may recall, from Osvaldo Vigna noted that in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, the idea of catching fish with hooks was used metaphorically to speak of God's divine judgment. 
against people in power and the wealthy. And if you want to look into that more deeply, I encourage you to check out Amos chapter 4 and Ezekiel 29. And Sylvania says, so the call to be fishers of people was not a call to save people from their sins, but an invitation to join Jesus in his struggle to overturn the existing order of power and privilege. But that's hard to put in a bumper sticker, you know? That's, that's, that's the trouble with that, you know? Or if you're in Sunday school and you have the little flannel graph, you know, here, kids, is where Jesus invites the disciples to overturn the existing order kind of in privilege, you know? Go right over their heads. And maybe it goes over our heads, right? But I think as we look deeply into Jesus' life, his teaching, his parables, the things he's talking about, it is a lot more subversive than perhaps we might have thought. And notice the thing that happens before Jesus begins his ministry and before he calls his disciples. The very first thing we read in our text today in Mark 1 was after John was arrested. After John was put in prison. And so in the very context out of which Jesus begins his ministry, discipleship has with it connotations of resistance. Resistance against the status quo. Resistance against the powers that be so far as they are supporting injustice and oppression. Yet the call of Jesus was not merely an outward call to action. It was also a call of the heart, a deeply personal and spiritual call. Chad Myers notes that the first step in dismantling the dominant social order is to overturn the world of the disciple. Am I willing to let go of what I'm grasping so tightly to? Am I willing to lay down my life? Serious work has to happen right in here before I can do much of good out there. Richard Rohr put it this way. He said, we made Jesus into a mere religion instead of a journey toward union with God and with everything else. We worshipped Jesus instead of following him in his same path. Now I'd say those things don't have to be at odds, but often, unfortunately, they are. And he says, this shift made us into a religion of belonging and believing instead of a religion of transformation. Jesus asks us to transform this world, not leave it. And that transformation begins with each and every one of us. And then as we come together and look at what are the systems and structures that also are in need of transformation, which currently don't reflect God's desires for equality, peace, and justice. And Howard Thurman knew this as he sat there with this man questioning, Why can you be, how can you be a Christian? Thurman notes that unequivocally Jesus stood for the underprivileged, for the oppressed, for the exploited, as much as he stood for anyone. And understanding that allowed him to be a follower of Jesus despite the litany of things that had just been recited to him. Thurman, in his trip, went on to meet with Gandhi while he was in India. 
And there's some really fascinating records of their conversation. I encourage you to check that out and read up on that super fascinating stuff as they're talking about the Gospels and uh, the Apostle Paul and just super interesting stuff. But one of the things that he gathered there was Gandhi's notion of ahimsa or nonviolence. And this just captured and captivated Thurman. And he took that notion of nonviolence back with him. This was 1935. Right? So before a lot of what we think about, we think about the civil rights eras, but the seeds are already being sown. And Howard Thurman, a follower of Jesus, learning from a Hindu man, takes what he's learning and brings it back to the States. He was a spiritual mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., Howard Thurman. He wrote a book entitled Jesus and the Disinherited, which shows how the gospel can be read as a manual of resistance for the poor and disenfranchised. And this book became a second Bible for Martin Luther King Jr. So here's this man who was asked, how can you be a follower of Jesus? Look at all this stuff that's happened. And he said, no, I am still inspired by this man from Nazareth. I'm going to continue following him. And Howard Thurman became, in many ways, the grandfather to the civil rights movement. So is it still possible to speak of following Jesus in a way that is compelling? I believe that it is. Following Jesus, Ralph Abernathy became Martin Luther King Jr.'s closest ally and suggested the Montgomery bus boycott, which led to the desegregation of the public bus system. Following Jesus, African-American churches became a place to pray for liberation or simply to meet with friends and neighbors in a comfortable environment during the chaos of the civil rights movement. Following Jesus, Bernard Lee participated in many sit-ins and joined many others in the march from Selma to Montgomery. Following Jesus, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth survived beatings, arrests, jail sentences, bombings, and multiple attempts on his life. Following Jesus, Martin Luther King Jr. founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and led many boycotts, sit-ins, and marches in order to raise awareness for as well as fight against segregation. And of course, we know he did so much more being imprisoned, beaten, and ultimately killed himself. Following Jesus, Carolyn McKinstry, who was just in Holland this past week, was able to forgive the men who bombed the 16th Street Baptist Church, which killed four of her friends. So yes, following Jesus is still a radical thing to do, even today. Father Daniel Berrigan, himself a tireless advocate for justice and peace, put it this way. Faith is rarely where your head is at, nor is it often where your heart is at. Faith is where your ass is at. <laughs> Mostly I just wanted to swear two weeks in a row during the sermon, so... But he's on to something, right? Am I willing, right? It's so easy for us, and particularly... Me, right? A person of privilege to just sit around and take for granted that life isn't that tough for me. But for a lot of other folks in this country and around the world, life is difficult every single day. And where are we? Where are our bodies? 
Yesterday I saw a lot of people in Holland gathering downtown. It's beautiful. No doubt people there of many different beliefs and traditions and backgrounds, but I also know some of them, some of you, in fact, were there because you were following Jesus. And so the next time someone says, are you one of those Christians? One of those Jesus followers? I hope to think about some of the amazing women and men throughout history have done incredible things and been powerful models of selflessness, compassion, and love. And when I think of them and how God used them to change the world and is still using them now, I hope to respond by saying, yeah. Or perhaps more truthfully, I aspire to be a follower of Jesus. Howard Thurman said, wherever the spirit of Jesus appears, the oppressed gather fresh courage. For he announced the good news that fear, hypocrisy, and hatred have no dominion over them. That is a powerful word that we still need today. Amen. Namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Music